we are not covering a lot of scripture today. It says five verses, but I'm really concentrating on like three. I'm sure you've all heard of the uh, law of unintended consequences. That's where some action is taken. Let's say, for instance, a country in, oh, some northern cold region of the world, Germany, for example, decides to shut down its unclean, uh, its uh, nuclear and coal-fired electrical generating plants and relies solely on green energy, you know, solar, wind, uh, for all of their electrical needs, only to find out that the sun goes down at night and the wind doesn't always blow and that therefore it gets cold in their houses when they run out of electrical power and has to refire up its coal plants, you know? That's an unintended consequence of their good intentions, well, good intentions, of their intentions. On second thought, that might have not been an unintended consequence. It might have been the intended consequence of their action. It actually seems that all government agencies exist to explore the outer limits of unintended consequences. Which brings me to Satan. Oh, <laughs> you might think that that was an exercise in word association. What's the first word you think of when I say government? And we say Satan. But my serious question there is, does Satan understand the concept of unintended consequences? Now, I'm asking this in no way to mock Satan. I really don't want to mock Satan. Uh, I do not want to be noticed by Satan. Although as an ordained minister of Jesus Christ, uh, I thoroughly know that I'm already on the devil's bad list or good list or something, whichever list it is that Satan does. The prophet Isaiah said this of Satan. He said, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How you are cut to, down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to shale to the far reaches of the pit. Isaiah recognizes the brightness with which Satan once shone. Lucifer, the light he is brought down, desiring to be the brightest light of, the, of heaven. But now, as the prophet says, he is cut down low to the earth. And we know Satan was not repentant for his desire to be the equal of God. Instead, thrown from heaven and now on earth, the apostle Peter saw him this way in Peter 5.8. He says to his to the people he's writing to, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
So, you know, we're studying in Genesis. What the first thing we see Satan do? He corrupts the very first people on earth, Adam and Eve, seducing them to rebel against God. Now, did he think that would be the end of God's reign on earth? The end of God's plan? Instead, God responds by cursing the serpent and making this promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Instead of ruining man, the perfect man is promised, a savior to redeem the fallen creation. That is, I would assume, an unintended consequence of Satan's corrupting of man. But Satan was undeterred. I mean, have you ever really stopped to think and look at what Satan does in the world? Uh, He works in the hearts of Joseph's brothers to have Joseph sold into slavery. Works in the hearts of the uh, Pharaoh's wife to unjustly accuse Joseph of making advances at her and has him thrown into jail, an innocent man. We see Moses, the story of Moses, that Satan works in the heart of Pharaoh to eliminate the newborn babies of the Hebrews in Egypt. And yet, Moses' mother puts him in a woven raft Pharaoh's daughter finds, raises him in Pharaoh's household. Unintended consequence, Moses goes on to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt. We see the nation arriving in the promised land. A strong nation, millions strong by the time they reach the promised land. And yet Satan corrupts the kingdom, the priesthood. And God responds by having them sent into captivity in Babylon. And maybe Satan thinks he wins at that point. But what happens? The diaspora serves to bring the Hebrew God to the attention of the Gentile nations, or the God of the Hebrews, not the Hebrew God, the God of the Hebrews, to the attention of the Gentile nations, preparing them as a mission field for a further work of God, an unintended consequence. Then we see Jesus, God's son, come to earth. Satan works in the hearts of not only Jesus' disciple, Judas, but in the hearts of the high priests, to have the Romans execute Jesus, fulfilling God's plan. Another unintended consequence. This continues down to our very day. Satan seems to be big on unjust incarceration. This came to mind as I found out on Thursday that our friend Ryan uh, Coher, Missionary Aviation Fellowship pilot, Uh, was released, completely exonerated, given his work card back, given his passport, is in the United States, 
after undergoing, what, four months of solitary confinement, sleeping on the insect-riddled floor of a jail, to the point that we were happy and rejoiced when he was given a mattress, then did another seven months of home, home detention. I wonder what that, I wonder what that, the unintended consequences of that will be. Because Ryan's mission in life was formed by another unfair action. I don't know how many of you know it, a number of you do, but about 56 years ago, there was a, um, a group of missionaries. Uh, Jim Elliott was one of them. He'd already reached out to a, a, a tribe in the uh, Ecuadorian jungle. He was a linguist, uh, not with Wycliffe, but with something similar. And he had reached out to this tribe, and they were receptive. But there was another tribe in the area. I've told you about indigenous people's names for themselves before. Almost every indigenous people calls themselves the people, okay? That's how they refer to themselves. One difference is the Lakota Sioux, and I've told you that before. They were just called the Sioux when I was growing up. But their name is now the Lakota Sioux. Lakota in the Lakota Sioux language means friend. Sioux, which everybody else called them, means enemy. Okay, so we have this vicious tribe living near this now Christianized tribe. They're called the Oka, okay, A-U-C-A. Nowadays, they are um, the Waudani, okay? They call themselves the Waudani. Everybody else called them the Oka. Waudani, just to let you know, means the people, okay? It's almost universal. Oka means savage, okay? They were known for killing everybody who came into their territory, but one day, Jim Elliott and a few other missionaries decide that they will approach the Oka, and they um, employ a Mission Aviation Fellowship pilot, name of Nate Saint, and after dropping gifts and, and waving to the people, one by one, Nate Saint flies them all into a sandbar in the middle of the jungle on a river. And they get out and they survived maybe two days before they were all killed by the Oka. Despite the fact that they had weapons that they did not use. Now, you would think that Satan probably thought he had done away with this group and their influence over the Indians of Ecuador. But it was not to be the case because there were unintended consequences of this action. So, we'll pick that up later. Our story today is in Acts chapter, six, chapter 17, excuse me. Now, when they had passed through, and we're talking about Paul and Silas here, Amphipolis and Apollon, uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving 
that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And today's reading, just as I say, five verses, Acts 17, 10 through 15. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, uh, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, have you ever wondered what would have become of Saul of Tarsus, the disgraced persecutor of the church in Jerusalem, chasing people to Damascus, if Satan had left him alone? Okay? If Satan had, had not bothered, he lost his sight on the road to Damascus, would Saul have been content to stay there? and minister in a small location, the local congregation, perhaps even with an outsized ministry in an important town? We don't know because Satan couldn't have that. He thought destroying Paul in Damascus, and I'm going to have to assume this, okay, that he thought destroying Paul in Damascus would end the threat of his ministry and thus entered into the hearts of jealous Jews that had been, as it says, confounded back in uh, uh, that portion of Acts by Paul's teaching in the synagogues of the city. These Jews plotted to kill Paul. But with the help of his new Christian brothers, he escaped Damascus. We've learned from his letters that he goes into the wilderness in, in what he calls Arabia or Araby. We find from his letters that he was personally instructed by Jesus himself in Christianity for a period of years. So he escapes from Damascus where, where people try to kill him. And then he traveled to Jerusalem. 
and we've covered all this before, so this is just an overview again, where Barnabas introduced him to the apostle. So Paul, or Saul of Tarsus as he was known, is now in Jerusalem. Why did not Satan just leave him there? A small fish among the giants of the faith, okay? We have Peter. We have John. We can go through the list, but, you know, the giants of the faith are all in Jerusalem, and Paul shows up there. Why didn't Satan leave Paul alone? But instead, again, the hand of the evil one stirred up men to kill him. And he was sent off first to Caesarea, and then on to his home of Tarsus, where he ministers for seven years among the locals that he knew. As we have seen, from there Barnabas went after him and brought Paul to Antioch in Syria, where a small community of believers, Barnabas had been sent there by the church in Jerusalem to see what was going on in Antioch in Syria. There was a small group of believers settled there. And so for a period of three years after Barnabas brings Saul from Tarsus, they build up the church in Antioch to the point it is strong enough for them to leave. And then they take the gospel to Asia Minor, which Saul was from, but he went to a different area. And here we have two competing plans. We have God's plan and Satan's plan. God's plan is for Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel of grace and peace to the nations as he'd promised since the garden. Satan's plan was simply to destroy Paul. Now, I have to wonder at this point, is Satan just causing trouble now? Does he know he's not going to win? Or does he think he's going to win? Or is he going to just destroy as many people as he can along the way? Because that is the viewpoint. So as we've seen in city in Antioch, large, important city, the Jews who opposed Paul incited a mob against the missionaries and drove them out of the city again. Okay, out of the city. So they go to Iconium because Satan has driven them out of city in Antioch. And in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas preached in the, in the synagogue until the Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made plans, as Scripture says, to mistreat Paul. Okay, uh, Mistreat, we saw in our earlier uh, readings from Robin, mistreat sort of a, a light word there. Okay, So they're going to do that. So they fled to Lystra and Derb, leaving a fledgling church behind. So now they've left Scythian Antioch and a church behind them. They've gone to Iconium and are driven out, leaving a church behind. They go to Lystra and Derb. In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas were received as gods because they healed someone from, who had been lame from birth. Hailed as gods to the point that they're being followed around. And then the irate Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and stone Paul, drag him out of the city, and dump him, leaving him for dead. And Paul gets up, shakes the dust off, leaves, and leaves the church behind him. So now, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Philippi. Philippi. 
Paul and Barnabas were beaten and thrown into jail. And upon their release, they were asked to leave the city, which they did, leaving a strong church behind. Are you getting the drift here? I said I wasn't going to mock Satan. It's as though he's the wily coyote of the Bible. Because every time he tries to kill Paul, a new church is left in his wake. In Thessalonica, they were accused of turning the world upside down and of urging the populace to obey a new king, Jesus Christ. The church at Thessalonica got them out of town ahead of the authorities. And now in Acts 16, verse 10a, we see the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Satan had basically just one playbook on all of these attacks on Paul and Silas. Raise up violent mobs against them and drive them from the city. Skipping ahead to verse 13, it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Or what is it they say? Wash, rinse, repeat? Once again. And verse 14 and 15 show the result of Satan's scheming. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed from the backwaters of Antioch in Syria and the deserts of Araby, the adversary and his willing minions have escorted Paul and Silas into the very heart of Europe, Athens. Okay? Instead of destroying his ministry, they have driven him to the heart of Europe. What might have been a small local ministry has been propelled into a world-changing effort due to unintended consequences, right? Well, wrong. Man has unintended consequences. Satan has unintended consequences. Let's go back to the jungles of Ecuador for a, a moment. Five missionaries on a mission to a few people in a primitive tribe are killed by the natives. It's a senseless tragedy. In fact, the son of Nate Saint says... It should have never happened. It was a series of misunderstandings of a jealous man for a tribal woman. And, and the jealous man was not a missionary, thank you. It was one of the people they made contact with. It was a series of mistakes. And he said, it should not have happened. But it was an act of God. Okay, an act of God. And look at that. An act of God that resulted in the deaths of five missionaries. And you say, that doesn't hardly seem fair, right? That God, it would be an act of God to allow these missionaries to die. And yet, look at what he has done with Paul. 
unjust prison imprisonment after unjust imprisonment, stonings, canings, shipwrecks, eh, we can call that an act of nature, but it wasn't. Time after time after time, and all through history, we see this coming down. There is a reason. There's a reason. There's always a reason when God does something. But the gospel advances under persecution. We see that in China today. We see that in, in Africa. We see that in Southeast Asia. In Ecuador, stirred up the hearts of killers with lies and false accusations. And should we be surprised? And Jesus said, uh, your father is the devil. And he's a liar from the beginning. But this mission that looks like it's ended in the most inappropriate way possible with the senseless murder of five men who made no attempt to hurt the natives shows that Satan was right, right? Well, no. The efforts of Satan no more stopped the evangelization of the Oka than they did Paul and Silas 2,000 years ago. The Oka are Christians today. Almost all of them. By the widows and children of those murdered on the banks who went back and lived with them and converted them. The story of the men's sacrifice has inspired three generations of missionaries, among whom was Ryan Coher as a young boy, seeing a brochure in his school about Mission Aviation Fellowship and this story of Nate Saint. The playbook has not changed in 2,000 years for Satan. It's always lies, false accusations, illegal imprisonment. But there are also unintended consequences. In Ecuador, it was salvation for a people and a surge in missionary activity the world over. It inspired generations of missionaries. In the case of Ryan Coher, you probably don't know this, but the outpouring of prayer on the continent of Africa especially from the people there praying for this white missionary to be released was remarkable. You see, I've talked about the unintended consequences, but that is only from the perspective of man and the devil as well. For there are no unintended consequences with God. What we see as unjust, God sees as fitting into his plan. Everything is ordained. Everything is ordained. There are no unintended consequences. Whenever you go through a trial, whenever you all of you who are sitting in a pew think that something has been unfair, God is working that out. It doesn't matter what Satan had planned for us. We need not, we need not fear Satan's plans. We need to be in God's plans. I know that we didn't cover a lot of 
territory today. Next week we cover the Berean church and we'll be there. But to be in God's plan is the safest place in the world. Dave's heard this before because you cannot die before your time. You die in God's time only. Let's close in prayer.